Part of human experience is the tragedy of seemingly insurmountable difficulties. We have difficulties all around us. We've already mentioned that uh, there was an accident Wednesday at 37th and Silver. A car T-boned a pickup truck. Both vehicles, uh, it appeared, were essential to the life of and the livelihoods of both drivers. The pickup truck appeared to be doing his business by scrap metaling, a very vital part of our, our, our uh, community, picking up usable and recyclable parts and uh, take them down for recycle. The other was a young fellow, a young Hispanic fellow. I'm sure he needed his car for his livelihood. Both families suffered the tragedy of financial loss. <clears throat> We're in the pandemic of COVID right now. We all know about that. That's why we haven't been meeting as a church in person for so long. And yet, now the Lord has allowed us to gather together. And it's not over. New strains are, are coming out. New, more powerful strains are coming out. Uh, even with vaccinations. There's regular gun violence, as uh, Marcia mentioned earlier. In Kansas City, there are maybe three to four shootings a day. Most of them don't even hit the media. Uh, but... Uh, each one of those gun violence incidents represents the tragedy of lives of the shooters, tragedy in the lives of the families, tragedy in the lives of the vision, victims. Each death, we must remember, signifies the end of a life that was created in the image of God. There's disruption of relationships and deep emotional pain that pervades families and friends, tragically inflicting a lifetime of division in, in, many, in many instances in those relationships. The number and the variety of tragedies keeps on going. <clears throat> you may think that someone who is called a friend of God, as was David, would be immune from such overwhelming tragedies, wouldn't you? But things were looking pretty dismal for David, for King David, as he wrote this song. 2 Samuel 15 through 18 records the setting of the writing of this, uh, of this song. Uh, it was a time of danger. David and his team were running for their lives. They were fleeing because his son was after them. Uh, it was a time of despair, the despair that his own son Absalom, David's own son Absalom, had undercut the authority and his popularity with the people of Judah. Then Absalom set up his own kingdom in Hebron and set out to kill and destroy all who held allegiance to David, including his own father and family. It was a common practice in the Middle East uh, for a king to kill all of the uh, uh, family and rep uh, representatives of authority who could challenge his position as he assumed power. Then some of David's most trusted friends turned against him. You remember Ahithophel? 
He was a, a, an advisor for David. Uh, he became a conspirator with Absalom. Mephibosheth, his dear friend Jonathan's son, and late King Solomon's grandson had stayed behind in Jerusalem in hopes that he somehow could uh, inherit the kingly position. He was the one who David had taken in as family and had fed and housed him. And then some of David's military leaders opportunistically turned to Absalom. So you see, David's favored son now became his fiercest enemy. So what do you do when everything seems to be going against you, even when you try to do everything right? David's reaction to this was to turn to God in complete dependence. That's the writing of this psalm, that he was turned to God in complete dependence. In all his dismay and feelings of helplessness, David recognized that God alone is able to deliver and to protect him and his people. So regardless of our circumstances or how hard things get, our God will provide a way through them. You see, we serve a risen Savior. We serve an all-powerful God. I'm focusing on some, a lot of the negatives that happened here, but keep in mind that God gives positives. The example that we had Wednesday night is, is one of those positives. We had five contacts Wednesday night that we would not have had had we stayed home and prayed over Zoom. Uh, think about that. God is providing through the impossibility. So let's look at some of the key points in David's life in this psalm to see how God led him through this particular tragedy. <clears throat> First of all, David sought God through the pressures that he faced in verse 2. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed. Yes. Uh, okay. And uh, that, that's in verse 2. I don't think I have the... Okay. I think I have another version out there than what I took this message from. Notice, it's not if I am overwhelmed, but when I am overwhelmed. We will be overwhelmed. What is it that so frequently overwhelms us? Well, there are circumstances and situations that are beyond our control. We didn't choose them to be what they are. We didn't uh, make them happen. We didn't cause them to happen, though sometimes we make our own beds by choices that we make. I believe that Satan has a lot to do with afflicting us, putting stumbling blocks in our pathways, and those are enhanced by the circumstances. Excuse me. A second factor is that Satan battles against us. It's Satan's self-assigned job to defeat people, especially God's people. Peter warned us about that in 2 Peter uh, 
I'm sorry, 1 Peter 5, 8. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So Satan fights against us. If you're a Christian, count on it. He's going to fight against you because you're now sworn in. Thirdly, sin has become more invasive into our society. We live in a progressively worsening sinful society. Sinful acts such as child abuse, child pornography, adultery, mass shootings are becoming so common that we've accepted it just as the way things are. According to CNN statistics, there were 133 people killed and 618 injured in the United States in gun violence alone over the last 4th of July holiday weekend. That's Friday through Monday. But it didn't even make it our national news. God help us when we view such sin as normal in our society. But when we become overwhelmed by our, our services to God, that's another thing. And it's, it's nothing new. It's, we, we become burnt out. We become overwhelmed by what we do for the Lord. And that's part of Satan's strategy as well. There are three dangers to beware of uh, that will result when we find our services overwhelming us. First of all, the human impossibility of the task that's before us. Moses experienced that. He was overwhelmed by the enormity of the tax of judging and leading over two million stiff-necked Israelites through the dry desert. <clears throat> in Numbers 10, I'm sorry, 11, 10 through 15, <coughs> excuse me, we read that uh, it caused his confidence to fail. He lost confidence, self-confidence. You remember Jethro, his father-in-law, came and encouraged him and advised him. And then in 1 Kings 19, Elijah was overwhelmed by the opposition to the task that he faced. He had just overcome, defeated, and yes, killed some 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. Had a major victory for the, for the power of God, a revival. And then Jezebel pointed her finger at him and says, God, the Lord, the uh, God's do to me and more also if I, you're not like one of those prophets by tomorrow morning. What happened? Elijah took off running. He ran. That's another message. Uh, but, uh, he was overwhelmed. He, he, uh, he, he was overwhelmed by and lost his courage because of, of his, uh, uh, his overwhelming. And then Jonah was overwhelmed by the perplexities of the task he faced. Thank you. Surprising what a little water does. He was uh, supposed to go to Nineveh to warn them what God was about to do. He didn't want to go there. Uh, it caused his compassion 
to fail. So there are some overwhelming things that we need to be aware of and to be to set our guard up against. So what was the prayer that David prayed in verses 1 and 2? Note here the elements of David's prayer. First, David felt deep emotion that propelled him into prayer. He prayed from the ends of the earth. For David, one who had won the right to the comforts of Jerusalem as well as comforts of being near God's temple, the east of Jordan felt like the end of the earth to him. I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you go east of the Jordan, it's pretty dismal. Most places, except in the towns, it's pretty dismal. Uh, dry ground when we were there. Grass just enough to feed a few sheep here and there. For David, it was the end of the world. In the Old Testament times, for the faithful Israelite to be a distance from the sanctuary, it seemed the equivalent to being exiled into a foreign country. Secondly, David felt defeated by his circumstances, even though some of those circumstances were of his own making. He had failed to discipline Adonijah in childhood. And now that failure came back to bite him. At the time of this psalm, he was being exiled by his own son. Thirdly, he felt deeply discouraged in his heart. He said, I call as my heart grows faint. I call as my heart grows faint. He felt deeply discouraged. The second element, God, uh, God was the focus of his, of his prayer. David desired the attention of God. He desired the assistance of God. This was the God that he knew well. He had created, he'd been called the friend of God, as we mentioned earlier. He composed psalm after psalm on his heart in praise to the God that he knew. Now he craves the power and the wisdom of God in his circumstance. And thirdly, his cry expressed the fervency of his prayer in verses one and two. The Hebrew trans, uh, word translated here means to shout praise as well as despair. So by definition, this could be a time of praise, praising God. Uh, but the context of the psalm is that of petition. So this cry is a deep, mournful petition, as was the cry of the blind man to Jesus, whose cry was that he might be able to see. David's cry here was most likely a loud vocal cry, one that was earnest, one that would persevere until the answer came. The very foundation of his prayer is to his God, his strong tower. Verse three, for you have been my strong tower. The might of God is expressed as a strong tower here. The mercies of God are illustrated as shelter, illustrated by the metaphor shelter. The memories of God 
His perfect, unending knowledge is promoted by choosing His faithfulness, by observing His faithfulness in the past, to find the pattern of protection and comfort for the future. David knew that even as tragic as things were, his God is unchangeably sovereign. Lamentations 3.21 says this, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. The fourth element that uh, David expresses in this prayer is that of faith through prayer in verse 4. There's the word trust. He expresses dedication in a time of trouble. He, he dedicates his desire to abide in God's temple forever. Indeed, in the story, he did abide in a tent. If you'll, if you'll read the, uh, the story in... Uh, in uh, 2 Samuel, he took his abode out to the temple above Jerusalem, uh, to a tent above Jerusalem. There he resided for uh, temporarily until he had to flee with it for his life. <clears throat> he displayed devotion in the time of his trouble. He devoted himself to trust in God. It is essential that he is simply uh, turning his problems over to God. And that's, that is simply what he did. He just turned his problems over to God here in, in this psalm. He displayed dependence upon God in time of trouble. He seeks shelter under his wings. Now I get the idea of a hen sheltering her little chicks from danger. There's shelter there. There's a closeness as they, as they cuddle up to the warm body of their mother. There's a covering and there's a comfort there. David says, I, I go to the shelter as under the wings. And the place that David sought in verse 2, he said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now that rock was a hidden place that he couldn't find on his own. He said, lead me to that rock that is higher than I. It's kind of covert, it's kind of secret the way he puts it, and yet it's full of confidence that God will lead him there. You get there by design and not by chance. You have to be going there to get there. David, the man who God knew, uh, I'm sorry, who knew God in the desert, and he knew the desert well, had been able to hide from all of King Saul's army intelligence and observation, is asking to be led to the place that even he cannot find by mere chance. That rock is a high place. It is a higher than I rock. And in other words, if he's standing up, he can't see the top of it. It's somewhere that God is. Somewhere where God protects. It's a, a cliff of refuge. A refuge must uh, either be above the storm or more powerful than the storm. 
looking for a house during a rainstorm or a hailstorm. That house has to be something you can get into, something that will protect you, and it's definitely higher and stronger than we are. As an illustration, we visited Israel in 2014, and we visited the uh, Masada. It's a high plateaued mountain where the Essenes and the Jews made their last stand against the Roman army that was attacking under General Titus. There's now a tram to take uh, visitors up to the top of that mountain. But at the time of, of this writing, uh, there was only a trail called Snake Path because it doubled back on itself numerous times just to allow the uh, hiker to get to the top more easily. The mighty Roman army took two years to finally conquer this fortress. Keep in mind, these are not soldiers, they're the Essenes and they're Jewish uh, and Israelite uh, common people that are up there. Uh, the uh, Israelites would stand up on top, they, they were prepared for what was happening. They would roll large stones off the side down onto the snake path where soldiers and other people were trying to climb up and would knock them off the path. So the Roman army couldn't conquer Masada by actually attacking it the traditional way. The only way the Romans were able to conquer the Masada was to build a ramp to the top of the mountain. Imagine that. They used slave labor to do it. Countless slaves and their Roman taskmasters were slaughtered by spears and arrows rained down upon them from Masada. Heat from the desert killed many as they labored in the tropical sun. But when the Roman army finally did finish the ramp, and breached the wall, they found that all the Israelites had systematically and by lot committed suicide rather than allowing themselves to be conquered by the pagan Romans. It was a high rock. It exists today. You can, the only way you can really appreciate Masada is just to go up there and walk around. It took us all morning to to visit all the sites there on Masada. In David's prayer, the high rock is a humbling place. It humbles us because our need implies our own weakness and inability to withstand the problems and circumstances on our own. It's a high place, a humbling place, and it's a holy place. It's like the place where God allowed Moses to see his glory as he passed by. But God protected Moses with his hand so that he could not, uh, he would not die at his holy appearance. Read about it in Exodus 33. It's high, it's holy, and it's honorable, an honorable place, enthroned in God's presence forever, verse 7. It's a place also of hope, hope that, that uh, we can be delivered by God. Now he expresses dedication, David expresses dedication in time of trouble. He dedicates his desire to abide in God's tabernacle forever. Indeed, in the story, he did abide in a tent outside Jerusalem, as we talked about 
earlier. So this metaphor was very real to him. He displayed devotion in the time of trouble. He devoted himself in trust to God. In essence, he is simply turning it all over to God. Okay, I think I got my pages mixed up. This prayer is really that of bringing our problems to God and leaving it there in His capable hands. When we bring our circumstances and situations to Him, He is, He in all His wisdom will carry us through so that we can see a possible way to deal with them. When we come to the end of our rope, we find that He's tied a stronger rope onto that end. It's a place of a heartfelt rejoicing in verse eight. When God gives us the answer, he can be assured, we can be assured that it will be the right one. We can rest upon his promises, the promises of deliverance and redemption. We can be satisfied that he has heard and answered our prayer. And he will provide much more than what we are able in conclusion, may our hearts be challenged and focused by this experience from, his, from the life of David and his prayer sung to the accompaniment of his heart. Just as this psalm is personal and singular, may each of us allow the Holy Spirit to apply God's truth to our lives. God is able and wants to guide and empower us through tragedies in our lives. Now, an end note, David was human. He made mistakes. He sinned against God, sinned against his country, sinned against his family, he says, and especially against himself. Yet, God was pleased to hear and answer his prayer, the prayer of a penitent man. Second Chronicles 7.14 Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive, forgive their sins and heal their lands. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. I'm sorry. Oh. We do need to have a closing song. Then I have Harless come up and do that. Thank you. As we think about God being there for us in those tough times, we want to glorify Him.
our response to the Lord. Let's just glorify His name this morning. So we go to our separate places. Let's stand for a closing prayer and a benediction. <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that You're faithful to us. Thank You, Lord, that You will guide us through our times of despair, our times of trial, and that you give us lives that are superabundant more than what we can ever imagine. As we go to our separate places, Lord, we ask your blessing. Now may the grace of the God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. We go in peace to serve our Lord. Amen.